We're here to help you navigate your business growth with strategic conversations and insights from experts in multiple industries. Welcome to Wayfinding Growth. This episode is brought to you by Impulse Creative. I'm Jackie, and if you want to see real results and work with great humans to grow your business, then Impulse Creative is your agency, and I'm your contact. Reach out to me through our website, impulsecreative.com today, and let's chart your course for growth. From a website that will get results to helping implement a marketing strategy, we're here to help your business grow. Welcome, Wayfinders. I'm Remington. Hey, I'm Dan, and uh, man, Remington, welcome to our show. Always exciting. Uh, yeah. Are you are you ready for this, my friend? It, if you're not, if you're not watching, yeah. I mean, I can't wait. I can't wait for our visitors and watchers, uh, visitors and watchers, listeners and viewers <laughs> to watch um, watch this episode. There's a lot of really good stuff. Uh, Jay is the man. Man, I'm. I, I, I so enjoy talking to those thought leaders in our industry and whether, you know, viewers and listeners have heard of, of Jay or not, like, I think he's a big deal. So this was a lot of fun for me. On today's episode, uh, we're talking with speaker, marketing thought leader and author, Jay Bear. Now, I had the chance to chat with Jay about his agency, Convince and Convert, which I knew a little bit about, but also his journey to the top, which I didn't know about. Yeah. And it includes politics and garbage in the prison system. No, that's not like a metaphor for all of the same thing. <laughs> anyway, it was, it was yeah. really cool. Um, and his newest book, Talk Triggers, talks about customer experience. So that was really cool. Uh, what did you walk away from this episode with, Remington? Yeah, so I love, I love that, you know, the talk triggers, talk triggers in general, and how Jay talks about talk triggers, I think a lot of times can go straight to like a marketing connotation, like how to get people to start talking about your brand. But I love that this episode kind of pulled me out of left field. I haven't read the book yet, but it was very much, very much about the customer experience and the talk triggers behind that, which I thought was neat. Um, but, you know, it goes true. And there's this thread that's like through many of these episodes that we've had, consistency really is the key to the messaging, right? So whether it's a talk trigger or whether it's trying to get a referral, that opportunity to have a referral and someone say things about your company that you want them to say, mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to design and have a strategy for, and it was kind of, kind of confirming for us because like I have like how to have an elevator pitch and like what to talk about in our, in our decks for onboarding. But then he takes that several steps further in his book from what I can see. So it's pretty awesome. And then the big part, diluting your message. He says not to go an inch deep and a mile wide when you, especially when you're thinking about talk triggers and being intentional about things. Like, I mean, it was Cookie and Enterprise Rental Car were two examples that were just uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's, it was, it was, well, I, what I thought was interesting was how he talks about how adequate doesn't get people talking. Mm. Right. Like you said, you know, you mentioned Enterprise, that Powerful the stuff. whole idea of they'll come pick you up. That's not just right. getting their job done. That's going above and beyond on a regular right. scalable level. So that was cool. Um, I also love Jay's personal shipwreck discussion. Uh huh. Like the whole idea that he's a seventh generation entrepreneur. Um, but he still failed, right? He tried to create sure. this podcast resource, Google for podcasts, he called it, and the lessons that he learned from that. So that was, that was really cool. You know, we, you've, you've said it before too, fail is not a bad thing. It's your first attempt in learning or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah. so that was cool. Um, and then two, two along the same lines, uh, his personal story about starting his own company, about convince and convert and what a touching and inspiring conversation that was. So all of what you said, but also the other stuff too. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I, it's funny because I went back and listened to this. We recorded it a while back and I listened to it to prepare for our conversation, you and me, Remington. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. I like, I forget that I was the one conversing with him. I just listened to Jay and I'm like, <laughs> man, there's so much good stuff here. So, right. So that was cool. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for letting me do that. Yeah, of course, man. <laughs> I love it. So listen, you can listen on the go with audio only episodes are on your podcast player of choice, of course, or if you want to watch the episodes, it's all at wayfindinggrowth.com. Either way, be sure to subscribe to get the latest in your inbox. Here it is, my friends, season three, episode 15. Let's set that course for growth. Woo! So Jay Bear, welcome to Wayfinding Growth. Thank you for uh, spending time with our audience, my friend. Fantastic to be here. I have found my way to uh, to the podcast. <laughs> there you go. So I love getting into uh, the personal side of stories with our, our thought leaders and our experts and everybody. So I want to I want to chart the course as Wayfinders with you. Um, we love getting inspiration from our guests' own journey, and you're obviously Jay. You're a, you're a thought leader highlighting great experience stories framed as talk triggers, uh, which, by the way, as you know, you know, huge fan of the book and everything. So I hope that's still going well for you. Yeah, that's great. Um, you're also the head of a content marketing and social media marketing consultancy. You're a, a speaker and a writer. So how did you get here to where you are today? Man, how long is the show? <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it was an overnight success. Come on, non- <laughs> Do you know the family circus cartoon? Do you know that one where the kid yeah, like, oh, yeah. walks all around the place and has got like the dots and dashes? Uh, that's kind of how I feel like this happened, right? Like this very meandering journey. Maybe it's not, I don't know. So, uh, I am uh, from Arizona. Uh, I grew up in Lake Havasu city, Arizona, America's home of the London bridge. Also at Mm -hmm. 1.8 MTV spring break destination. Some of you may know it, uh, (laughs) from uh, girls gone wild or (laughs) some other unsavory, uh, unsavory circumstance of which I had no part to play. Um, I uh, was political science major in college, and, and when I got out of school, I worked um, professionally in a lot of political campaigns. So I, uh, I, I worked on campaigns for uh, Congress and governor, statewide initiative, uh, actually did a lot of work for um, the late Senator John McCain, actually did all of his uh, internet work when he ran for president uh, the first time, and, and was in politics for a while, and then realized, well, that's a, that's a, tough, uh, that's a tough gig, uh, and, and so I went uh, from there, and I worked for Waste Management, the uh, environmental services uh, company, Trash Guys, and I was their marketing director for the Southwest U.S. for a while, and so that would have been my, my foray into what we consider to be traditional marketing, what we call it uh, now. Then we just call that marketing because there, there was no digital. Uh, and, and I left there um, and became a spokesperson for a state government agency. Uh, in Arizona, the Department of Juvenile Corrections. So my job was to give tours of, of, uh, of the juvenile prison system, uh, among other things, which uh, was not a great gig at all. Uh, and so I ended up um, uh, having uh, beers with some friends of mine who had started the very first internet company in Arizona. And, and we're hanging out and they're like, yeah, this internet company that we started is getting a little bit bigger and we don't know anything about marketing. And I said, well, that's fine. Because when you say the word internet, I don't really know what that means exactly. Yeah. Uh, because this was 1993. And at that point, uh, the way people got quote unquote online was America Online or CompuServe or Prodigy, some sort of floppy disk uh, yeah. in, in, a, in, a, in a walled garden of safety. And very few people, only nerds and the brave, would get into the, you know, the, the big bad open internet. But I, I could not give any more prison tours. I'm like, bro, I can't do it anymore. 
So I walked in and quit and I ended up being the vice president of sales and marketing of an internet company, having never been on the internet, um, which, which makes a first day um, pretty like, wait, what are we doing here? How does this work? <laughs> yeah. uh, wow, that's crazy. Uh, but it actually took off. We, uh, it's, this is a, a longer story than I'm even making it, but my partner in that business invented virtual web hosting. So everything that we know today, whether it's GoDaddy or Rackspace or, or anything else, um, he actually invented that. Um, mm. Before we invented it uh, there, it used to be if you wanted a, a website, you had to have your own box, like literally a dedicated server. All websites were dedicated. He invented the partitioning algorithm it would allow you to run multiple uh, domains on a single server, which really changed the world as we know it in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So I was there for a bit. Um, and, and then I left to start a, an internet company, internet media company in Phoenix. That was a consortium of, of uh, magazines, uh, television stations and radio stations. I uh, ran that for a while. And then I went um, there for like four years and then went to a, a startup company, which was essentially Skype seven years before Skype existed. Uh, uh, and so great idea too early was there for a bit. And then I started my own, my own, uh, uh, digital consulting, uh, firm in the, uh, in the late nineties and, and, and was there for a few years and then sold it and then started this company, uh, mm -hmm. convinced to convert 11 years ago. So, uh, I, I've got experience in public relations and radio and television and newspaper and magazine and direct mail and politics and, a lot of other things, which I think is, is what makes my work a little different than some others, because I don't give a shit about social media. Um, I care about business performance and customer experience. And if social media or whatever is the tool of the day to accomplish those objectives, fine. But I've used every other tool um, going all the way back to 1987 when I started in politics. Um, so, so I and my firm are very much tactically agnostic. And, and I think that really helps us, especially in, in the uncertain times. So how can you very quickly define the difference between tactics and strategy? I love how you see, you don't, you don't give a shit about social media and yet you use it very well. You're very prolific. Thanks. That's where you yeah. connect with a lot of people. Um, but if I'm a, if I'm a small to medium sized business owner or a marketing manager in that, and I keep thinking, well, but social media is my strategy. Yeah. How do you explain that between that and just being a tool? Yeah. I, I think the way to think about it is, is the goal is not to be good at social media. The goal is to be good at business partially through your use of social media. And you really have to keep those things straight, right? Social media is not a, a success metric for your business. Like you can't pay your rent with retweets. Like, trust me, I've tried to do that. They, they don't, they don't think that. So you've got to, you got to understand like, okay, we're trying to get customers and or keep customers. So what you're doing in any form of digital, whether it's, um, social or content marketing or email or marketing automation or search or whatever. Uh, it, it all has to be in service of that. How are we gaining customers or keeping customers? If, if you don't have a clear understanding of that relationship, you're probably wasting time uh, and or effort. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so from, from politics to garbage, which some may say mm -hmm. is the same thing. Yes. Politics to garbage to prisons. Yeah. To yeah. <laughs> You've got I've had all the sexy jobs, man. Right? Well, it's funny. So side note, um, I, I've given a presentation before uh how to do great marketing in a boring industry. And like, but the but and, and I and at first I was when I was asked to do that, I was like, but I'm not in a boring industry. That's so offensive. And I'm, I wasn't really offended. <laughs> but like that's the thing with all of our businesses. They're they're kind of boring unless until we create that experience with people. 
that want to be there, right? So it, it's funny. Yeah, there's no such that. thing as boring industries. There's only boring communicators. That's how I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so from your eclectic experience, it sounds like has led you to this journey to eventually write this book with, uh, with your, with your writing partner. Daniel. Yeah. Talk I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, here's what I, as I mentioned, you know, we, we try to not fall into the trap of the flavor of the day at convince and convert. I don't think it, um, number one, it doesn't really work. And number two, I think it does our clients a disservice. So we're always, people always ask us like, what's the hot new thing? And I always have the same answer, which is a little bit trite, but I think it's also very true that the hot new thing is doing today's thing better. And, and, and when you sort of accept that as a fundamental premise of effective communication, what it forces you to do is think backwards instead of forward sometimes. And, and one of our observations before we wrote this book, Talk Triggers, is that, man, you know, we've got all these tactics out there. Like, what's our Snapchat plan or whatever? Uh, and, and the reality is the best way to grow any business, I, I don't, it doesn't matter what kind of business it is, the best way to grow any business is for your customers to grow it for you i.e. word of mouth. And word of mouth is both more powerful and easier to accomplish than ever because of all the forms of online word of mouth, whether it's a, a review site, Yelp Trip Advisor, whatever the review uh, portal is in your category, or certainly uh, social media. It's, it's easier and more important than ever. Yet, and this is the thing that really shook me up when we were working on the book, fewer than 1% of businesses, Dan, have a defined word of mouth strategy which is crazy, right? Because we've got strategies for everything else, right? We got a strategy for recruiting. We got a strategy for crisis. We got a strategy for, you know, what happens if the food truck is late at lunch? We got strategies for all, we got a desk full of strategies. But the one thing we don't have a strategy for is debatably the most important thing at all, of all, which is how do you get your customers talking about you? We just take it for granted. And so we set out to change that with, uh, with this book and some of the consulting work we do now about uh, word of mouth uh, at the firm. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, I mean, you're absolutely right. You're speaking right to me. We, you know, we do a lot of great things at, at Impulse and we just recently had this conversation of looking at our analytics going, okay, organic traffic is looking like this. Here's the conversions on that, blah, blah, blah. And I just asked a simple question, well, what do we do about referrals that are offline? How do we get more of those? How do we make it scalable? How do we be purposeful? And we do some of that, but we're always getting better. Um, and that's what just like, like, like how, how do we do that? So with that, with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about what you call talk triggers. Is that just, is it, is it a fancier way to, or a different way to say customer experience or is there a I think it is, it is a, a piece of the customer experience story uh, for sure. So when I think about customer experience, uh, number one, customer experience doesn't really exist. Not, not in the way that we uses it in business today, uh, you know, we, we think of customer experience and, and the way we talk about it as if it is a holistic lever that we can, that we can pull. But customer experience is just a nickname, right? It's just, a, it's just a nickname that we have given for the totality of interactions that we have with customers and prospects, which could be dozens or hundreds of, of individual elements customer experience is, is in total how we make our customers and prospects feel. And those feelings are dictated by a whole lot of different things. It's not just one thing. So this idea that customer experience is, is, is one um, thing is I think kind of reductive and difficult for businesses. But when you think about the, the overall sort of CX ecosystem, it, it really serves two purposes. One, um, to, reduce, to reduce churn. And when we think about CX, I think most of the time 
that's the, the way we reflexively uh, think of it, right? That, that if we have a better customer experience, whatever that means in your business, a better customer experience means that customers will return. They, they will not defect. They will not yeah. leave. They will not choose a competitor, which is CX sort of viewed through a customer service prism in a lot of ways, right? It is, it is plain defense. That's where the majority of the thought leadership is around customer experience today. I believe, however, that just as important, if not more important, is the other side of the coin, which is customer experience for offense. How do you use CX overtly and specifically to create more customers out of thin air? And here's where we get into the big problem. As I mentioned, nobody has a customer experience or, or has a word of mouth strategy. And it's because we take it for granted. We assume, and, and this has been going on for damn decades, decades and decades. Business people assume that if you just run a good business, that customers will notice that and we'll talk about it. Sounds reasonable, but that's not actually the way the world works. That's not the way people behave. This is all about, this is all about brain chemistry. Like, I don't know everything, but I do know this. It doesn't matter how many of you are listening or, or, or watching uh, today. None of you has ever said this, ever. Has never said, Dan, check this out. Let me tell you about this experience I had. It was perfectly adequate. <laughs> right? Nobody ever says that. Right. Because yeah. it's a terrible story to tell, and it's a terrible story to listen to. It is without story. It is storyless. And word of mouth is, by definition, all about storytelling. And so if you want your customers to tell your story, and trust me, you do, you have to give them a story to tell. And so how I summarize this in the book and, and uh, on stage is that competency doesn't create conversations. Competency is super important, right? Like running a competent business allows you to continue to have a business. Don't get me wrong. But competency is not going to be what propels your word of mouth because people expect that. Like you go to a restaurant, hey, food was good. Yes, that's what we paid them to do, right? That, that's not <laughs> right. a story, right? So people talk about different and they ignore average. So you've got to do something they don't expect. So to your question, a talk trigger is defined as a customer experience choice that is designed to create conversations. So it is the thing that you do that your customers do not expect. And that thing becomes the raw materials for the stories they tell their friends and contacts about your business online and offline. Awesome. So it's, it's taking it to the, to the next level. I, I love that you say that you're perfectly adequate. I just, as we're recording this last night, I watched an old episode of The Office, uh, the American version, and it was uh, job reviews or performance reviews. And it was, Angela, you're perfectly adequate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody wants to be adequate. Tell me what I'm doing well. Tell me, tell me how to get better. So um, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, story. And that's why if you look at reviews, right? If you look at, look at review distribution on um, any, any review site, it doesn't matter. Uh, you'll see a bunch of fives and a bunch of ones. But there's not a lot of three-star reviews because what, what is yeah. compelling you to write that review? You're like, man, let me tell you how average this place was. Like, nobody, <laughs> like right, that's not right. really a human behavior that you want to get into, right? So, yeah. you know, if it was great, I want to tell people. If it sucked, I want to tell people. Uh, you know, in between, I'm like, yeah, nah, nah, I'm sorry. It was, it was all right. <laughs> it was all right. So, so I know you've got a ton of examples of great talk triggers. Yeah. Um, and, and one of my favorites is the, uh, the Santa Claus, Indiana uh, oh, yeah. holiday world. There's a great one. Um, yeah. 
but let's go back to, cause, cause we also learn, I think brain chemistry tells us we, we learn from failures too. So let's talk mm -hmm. about on wayfinding growth, this nautical theme shipwrecks. Do you have any uh, talk trigger failures that you've gathered that we can learn from? There's a few different ways that a talk trigger can fail. Let me set it up that way. Okay. Um, one is you misjudge the inherent talkability of your CX choice. You think customers are going to notice and talk about it, but, but they don't notice it and talk about it because it's either too similar to what they already expected or you implement it inconsistently or, or something else happens in kind of the operational side. Um, that absolutely occurs. It is, it is difficult to, to be consistent with your talk trigger application, especially for larger companies, but it is really, really critical. Uh, in fact, repeatability is one of the key success factors of talk mm -hmm. triggers that we, that we um, have in the book because um, the, the natural inclination for business people is to say, oh, we're going to do something kind of unique and different for customers. Let's do that for our best customers or, or our biggest customers or our new customers, right? That's how you get ladies night or, or mm -hmm. some other kind of circumstance where one percentage of your customer base gets access to something different. And I understand why that makes sense intellectually to a lot of people. We have to remember the point of a talk trigger is to maximize customer conversations. And if that's the idea, you don't want to truncate the possibility of those conversations occurring by only giving the talk trigger to certain people. You see this in the hotel business, right? So, so some guy checks into his room at the Marriott and there's like a live panda bear in the room. And it's like, you know, got a eucalyptus tree. He's like, oh my God, there's a bear here. And he puts it on, you know, Twitter. And then it goes on Reddit and then the media calls and it becomes like this whole, you know, thing for two days. And it's amazing. That's cool, I guess. Um, the problem I have with that is it doesn't have any long-term storytelling potential. It only has short-term potential. But the bigger problem is the next person checks into that hotel is like, bro, where's my, where's my bear? Like, where's my, like, what, what's, where's my thing, right? So that, that inconsistency is a challenge. And on occasion, I get this question a lot. Um, on occasion, the other way it can fail is if it's such a good idea that competitors are like, yeah, we're not going to let you have it. So I'll give you a little quick example of that. Yeah. You may remember, geez, how long ago was it now? I want to say eight years. I should look this up. Eight or 10 years. Um, uh, Weston Hotels rolled out this thing called the Heavenly Bed. And the, the premise was their talk trigger was going to be, we have the most comfortable bed in all of hoteldom, right? We got a super rad mattress and mattress pad and these sheets are dope. And we got this duvet cover that, you know, you would weep over. Uh, and it was a, a, a comfortable bed. I will give them that. But it was such a good idea, uh, it was such a strong differentiator that all the other competitors in the hotel was like, wait a second, we can't just let them have that. That's too good. And so with great rapidity, uh, Hyatt came out, they had like the sleep number bed partnership and Marriott's like, no, man, we got comfy beds too. And, and all the comp competition sort of rose up to the degree that Weston couldn't hold on to it any longer. But that doesn't actually happen very, very often. And, and most people who are concerned about competitors um, appropriating their top trigger um, are, are, are giving their competitors too much credit because here we are in 2020 and it's still 1% of businesses have a word of mouth strategy. So I wouldn't right. be too freaked out about it. Generally speaking, they're just going to let you do your thing because they, if, they if they were so tuned to word of mouth, they'd already be doing something. So there's three ways talk triggers can fail. One, you misread the customers. Two, your competitors steal it. And third is the world changes. So you may know, Dan, the 
long-standing talk trigger of Enterprise Rent-A-Card. You know what it is? Uh, they come pick you up. We'll pick you up. Well done. Uh, that was a super great talk trigger. We'll pick you up. Nobody else would do it. Avis won't pick you up. Hertz won't pick you up. National won't pick you up. Budget won't pick you up. Great talk trigger. They ran it for 20 years. Terrific differentiator. Guess when that doesn't make any sense anymore? When everybody when, can Uber everywhere. <laughs> when Uber is invented, right? When anybody in the world will pick you up. <laughs> Having yeah. like the weird enterprise rental car kid pick you up is like, why do I want this guy? Like it doesn't, <laughs> it's like, what? That's now it's now it's like now it's like spooky more so than more so than great um so yeah. they've had to change it right so if you look at the enterprise marketing plan now they they never talk about that right they've got a whole different thing that they that they focus on they're still kind of i think struggling for a new differentiator uh so those are the three ways misread the customers uh and 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 or don't do it consistently somebody steals it unlikely but possible and the world around you changes also possible but i wouldn't worry about it too much yeah well, in, in getting back to the customer or uh, comp- competitors stealing it, you know, I love, is it, is it Doubletree that does the cookies? Yeah. So like how simple is that? Just, well, we'll just give everybody a warm cookie when they check in. And some hotels still kind of do it, but Doubletree is still the one known for it. They're still, years. yeah. And so like how simple is it to steal that? And even when people try, it just yeah, doesn't work as well. On, let me, yeah, let me riff on that for a second. So, so it is one of the great, uh, talk triggers in the world, I think. Double Tree's warm chocolate chip cookie. They they give out uh, worldwide seventy five thousand cookies a day, mm. on average. And they've been That's doing incredible. it for thirty years. So so in for the book, Daniel and I did a whole survey of Double Tree customers because we really wanted to understand like how powerful this is as a word of mouth generator. And it turns out we have uh, several different ways of looking at this data in the book. But the number I like the best is that. of Doubletree's customers have told a story about that cookie. All right, so if you do a little quick math on that, that means today, tomorrow, the day after that, next week, 22,500 stories a day per day told about a chocolate chip cookie. Now, related question, when's the last time you saw a Doubletree ad? I I don't think ever kind of maybe never, right? Because the, the cookie is the ad and the guests are the sales and marketing department, which is when you know you've got a talk trigger that, that really works. Now, you're exactly right that, that, that giving somebody a cookie, you know, that, that seems totally doable. Couple wrinkles to that though. One, they have an oven in every location. So that's not quite as operationally easy to do to put an oven behind the front desk in every single hotel chain, every single hotel that you own. Um, and the oven is super critical because, and this is crucial, it is not just a pile of cookies on the counter with a glass dome over it. Instead, what happens when you check in, the front desk person turns, goes to the oven, takes out a hot cookie, puts it in a paper sack, and then hands it to you. The hand-to-hand pass is brand standard and super important because it turns it from sort of a bullet point into an experience. It's something that gets you on all your senses. You can feel it, you can smell it, you can ultimately taste it, you can obviously touch it. Uh, it, it, it. It makes it an experience. And one of the things we talked about in the book, although frankly, if I had to rewrite it today, I would have uh, emphasized this part more, um, is that talk triggers almost always need to be experienced in some way. It's not just an attribute. It has to be something that happens, not just something that is. And, and the reason that's so important is I guarantee you, Dan, you and almost everybody listening have been to a hotel at some point 
that has a basket of apples at the front desk. Or, or maybe sometimes you get off the elevator and on your floor, there's like a basket of bananas or something, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Nobody has ever told a story about that. I've asked, right. that, I've asked that question to thousands of people on stage, never have a hand gone up, ever. It's a waste of good citrus, right? You're just giving away <laughs> bananas for no reason, right? Are you, are you trying to create word of mouth or fight off scurvy? Because, you, you know, uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, they, they think it's the same idea but it's not yeah. right one is a bullet point and one is an experience and so you got to understand that's really really different uh the way it is taken in by the customer and then what they put back out in the form of word of mouth yeah great stuff and and, and if for our audience who wants to think about talk triggers uh, all of that is in the book it is so good and i mean we could spend hours obviously you do this uh for a living <laughs> telling people how to do this um so, but, but I want to, I want to get back to the personal side of it for you, Jay, what is, sure. what is a shipwreck in your journey at this point? You know, again, you've had all these different ups and downs yeah. a little bit, but yeah. can you look back on a shipwreck that you're like, okay, that's where I learned my biggest lesson. Oh man. I tell you what, I, I learn lessons every single day. I don't always realize their lessons till much later, but um, yeah. having been an entrepreneur for a long time and I'm a seventh generation entrepreneur as well. Um, uh, you know, a lot of lessons I've experienced or been imparted along the way, but I'll give you a couple quick ones. Um, a few years ago, geez, how long ago was it now? Five years, six years. Uh, my observation was that it's really hard to find podcasts. It's better, a little bit better now, but, but, um, still not great. But back then it was really bad. And, and it, it was mysterious to me. Like, why isn't there a Google for podcasts? Like this seems so simple. And so my team and I invested a tremendous amount of time and money and actually built a whole website called marketingpodcasts.com. And it really was Google for marketing podcasts. Um, there's lots of different ways to sift the data and, and it would serve up recommended shows uh, based if you're interested in small business or entrepreneurism or, or, or social media or what have you, sales. <clears throat> and it was really great. It worked well. People liked it. Um, problem was, and here was the lesson, I, I built it because I knew there was a market hole. But before I built it, I never figured out how I was going to actually make money at it. Hmm. And there were several ways that you could monetize a site like that, but none of them were anywhere close to how we make money at Convince and Convert. And so I realized like this is, this is a distraction um, more than anything else. And so what I, what I learned there and it's been really important since is that um, good ideas don't necessarily have to be pursued. And I think it's one of the curses of entrepreneurs. Like I got this great idea. I'm an entrepreneur. I know how to bring ideas to fruition. True. But, but that doesn't mean that it, it must be done because sometimes if it is done, it's at the expense of something else that's maybe a better idea or more profitable idea or, or whatever. So that was a, a good lesson. Um, uh, for sure. And the second one I'll tell you is that how I started this company, my first company, might be interactive when I started truly as my own money entrepreneur, which was uh, 20 years ago, almost, almost to the day that we're recording this. Almost exactly <laughs> 20 years ago. Um, nice. I had wanted to do my own thing uh, for seven years prior. And I knew that I eventually probably would because as I mentioned, you know, I'm a seventh generation entrepreneur. 
you know, it, it, it's not like my dad ever sat me down and said, you know, you will be an entrepreneur. But when you're, when, when you are in a family of entrepreneurs, it just, it's like the oxygen you breathe, right? It, it, you know, there was never a need to have a conversation about it, right? It, it's just right. a question of what are you going to do and when, not whether. And I had wanted to do my own thing for, as I mentioned, probably seven years prior, but I was making pretty good money um, as, as sort of director, VP, marketing type guy, right? Um, and I was like, man, I had a little kid at the time. And I was like, I don't know if I want to, why would I risk that? Um, and then That's a great question. My, my best friend, um, who was also my brother-in-law, he married my wife's sister, which I totally recommend if you can socially engineer that. It's dope. <laughs> uh, it makes Thanksgiving awesome. Um, right. Uh, I was 30. He was 30 uh, years old. He called me and said, I just got diagnosed um, with brain cancer. And I walked in the next day and I quit. And I've never worked for anybody since that day. Mm. And because from the time he told me to the time I walked in, uh, I, I wrote, I grabbed a piece of paper and I said, okay, why, why haven't I started my own thing? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm scared. And I'm like, yeah, I know you're scared, but what, what exactly are you scared of? And so I forced myself to write down exactly what I was scared of. What, what, what's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I realized, well, the worst thing that happened is it wouldn't work. And I'd have to go get another high paying job being somebody else's, you know, digital genius or whatever. Uh, and I'm like, it's not like I've got brain cancer. It's like, it's just, I'd have to have a different job. And, and that really, really helped me. And so one of the things I tell entrepreneurs a lot is, is to dimensionalize your fears you know, whatever you think scares you probably scares you because you don't really know fully its shape and its form. When you, when you force yourself to write down your apprehensions and you look at it on paper, you're like, Oh, that's actually not as scary as I thought. Usually the, the, the unknown part of it is scarier than the known part. And, and so that process and literally writing it down can really help you break through whatever's holding you back. Mm. Man. So powerful, Jay. So powerful. Um, that, that to me sounds more like a proudest moment than a shipwreck, but I could see the shipwreck. Do you have a proudest yeah. moment or is that kind of it? I mean, how about, how about, how about a high now? Let's go out. Let's, let's go to a high. Um, I mean, I, I am so incredibly fortunate. Uh, so many amazing things have happened and almost all of them are either directly or indirectly related to uh, my team at Convince Convert, which I think is, is mm. if not the best in the world, certainly um, I would take them in a, in a log rolling match against anybody else. Um, <laughs> a couple that I will always remember. Uh, one, when my book Utility uh, became a, a New York Times bestseller you know, you open the Sunday New York Times and you go to the book review section and there's your book right there on the list. That yeah. was pretty cool. Like, I won't forget that. And, and then a couple of years ago, I was inducted into the Professional Speaking uh, Hall of Fame. And there's only uh, 190 uh, living people in that Hall of Fame. And so it's a pretty small group. And that was a, a proud moment, especially because my whole family was there, my dad and my stepmom and my mom and my in-laws and both my kids uh, came from college there. And, and actually mm. that was the last time the whole family was together. My, my father passed away shortly after that. Uh, and, oh, wow. and so that was, as it turned out, even more of a, of a high than it uh, seemed like at the time. So uh, it's, a, it's a long list and I'm truly, truly fortunate, but I'd probably pick out those two. Yeah. And, and how, so let me ask you this totally, totally personal question. How often do you think of those moments for gratitude when things are rough? 
not often enough. Mm. Uh, candidly, I, I'm not a big look backwards gratitude guy. Um, I have a pathological need to move forward and make project uh, progress. I am um, uh, both. Um, it is both impossible for me to rest on my laurels, mm. and and simultaneously impossible for me to appreciate anything good that's happened to me or smell the roses. Uh, which is a very good quality in business and not a particularly good quality in relationships. Uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> uh, it probably will require a great deal of, uh, of therapy someday to uh, rid me of that uh, personality trait, but uh, it has served me well uh, on the whole, but it, it definitely, um, it definitely can cause some issues when people say, oh, can't you just enjoy this for a minute? And I'm like, no, man, I need to work on, on the next thing. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 50 years old, uh, and, and I still feel like I'm in startup mode every hour of every day. And, and, and I don't know if I actually am, but that's certainly how I live my life. Yeah. Good stuff, Jay. Um, so if you could be a wayfinder for someone else and pull them along, what would your first piece of advice be in whatever aspect of, of professional career that, that, that you're thinking yeah. of just any piece of advice? Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you why, especially for people who are um, either trying something new or or making a pivot of some sort. Um, I think one of the lessons that that I've I've learned that I think can be useful is that sometimes the most important word is no, not not yes. Um, if you have any degree of of competency, and obviously you do, or you wouldn't be tuning into this show. Um, the reality is you're always going to have some opportunities, but usually it's the opportunities that you set aside are the ones that actually help you pursue the ones that, that you tackle kind of like my marketingpodcast.com story. Um, and, and sometimes when people are scrambling uh, for, for opportunities and like, I got to do something. And, and so you're just like, you know, I'll wash cars or whatever the deal is. I understand that, especially when people start getting nervous about stuff, but um, being, being really good at a few things is is typically a better strategy than being okay at a bunch of things. Um, and that requires some measure of discipline and just saying, you know what? Yes, I could do that for sure. But if I do that, I can't do this other thing that I'm actually really trying to accomplish or I'm actually better at. I'll give you an example in our own business. One of the things we try to do is um, as a company is on an annual basis, kind of audit how I spend my time, Jay's time, and then we try and take 10 or 15% of that away from me. Anything that I'm doing that somebody else in the team can do almost as well or just as well. So that, so that over a decade, we get to the point where how I spend my time is like, it's like almost like a reduction sauce, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's we, we try to set it up so that I'm doing things that only I can do, right? So I have an incredible team, they're geniuses, but, but I'm the best one to do this show with you, Dan. Um, you know, there's other people who can yep. do other parts of the business. And so over time, if you sort of like, it's almost like, um, it's almost like martial arts. You're like, well, how do you break a board? And this, this is, I'm not a martial artist as is probably <laughs> apparent to everybody, but I'm just, I'm just sort of using the analogy. Uh, how do you break a board? You, you funnel all of your energy into the strike point. And, and I think um, business works the same way. The, the best way to succeed is to figure out what is your strike point and then focus all your energy on that. The way most people do it, unfortunately, though, is they diffuse their energy 
across six, eight, 10, 15 different strike points. And they're surprised that they can't really take it to the next level. It's because you're, 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 you're running, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep. Great advice for all those listening, whether they're entrepreneurs or executives or marketing managers or anybody just, uh, and it goes back to kind of what you said earlier too. I, I, th- I think anyway, good ideas don't always need to be pursued. Learn where to say no and focus your energy. So yeah, great stuff, Jay. Uh, yeah, my, is my there... buddy Mike, my buddy Mike is my uh, my best friend. Uh, is a is a very uh, is a, is the general manager of a very large digital agency, and and uh, he sort of thinks the same way about not all not not all good ideas need to be pursued by you. We've we've had this this premise we're going to open this place called the Idea Store, uh, and and we just sit behind a desk and people come in and we like here's an idea for you. Go do that. Right. We just, we just sort of like, we just sell ideas for 49 99 and you guys go do that. Cause I've got like, I've got a list of like 300 startup ideas. Right. So uh, I got plenty of ideas. Uh, I just need somebody to go do them. Man. I, that, I, that I would love to have that kind of a job. That'd be fun. Just give yeah, ideas. That'd be great. I love that. Well, you know, like Gary Vaynerchuk <laughs> kind of does that. Right. So Gary Vaynerchuk yeah. has all these ideas. Then he recruits young, smart people. He's like, Hey, I've got an idea for a company. Why don't you go run this for me? And, and, uh, and we'll do a rev share on it, whatever. Boom, go, does it. And just yeah. kind of like, like plants, plant seeds like that, which is uh, really smart. Yeah. Incubator. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Jay, you're fantastic. I appreciate you taking time. Uh, oh, I'm going to link. Pleasure. It's great to be here. I'm going to link to everything in the show notes, uh, your social media to jbear.com, convinceandconvert.com. Go buy the book. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you want to make sure our audience walks away with? Two pieces of things. One, uh, talktriggers.com, the official website for the book, has a tremendous amount of free resources. There's research, there's videos, there's discussion guides, there's infographics, tons of stuff there. So obviously, I prefer for you to buy the book, but there's a lot of stuff at talkfigures.com, whether you buy it or not. Mm-hmm. Also, on related front, um, the book Talk Triggers, of course, has a talk trigger. It would be a little bit hypocritical if it did not. Uh, works like this. Um, if you buy the book and you are not 1,000% satisfied, all you got to do is email me, name and email address are in the book, and you say, I didn't like it, and Daniel and I, my co-author, will buy you any other book that you want in the world. Uh, and, and we absolutely will. So far, you know, tens of thousands of people have read the book. We have had two redemptions on that offer, Dan. Seriously. Uh, one guy, yeah. One guy uh, emailed me and said, Jay, uh, I didn't like it. There's, there's not enough case studies. And I said, well, I mean, there's like 32 case studies, but okay. Yeah. I, I made the offer. So by, and he wanted like a hundred dollar book on COBOL that's like out of print or something. I'm like, oh, that's a little cheeky, but you know, I, I made the offer. So I bought him the book. Three <laughs> weeks later, another guy emails me, right? And says, Jay, I didn't like it. You'll love this. There are, there are too many case studies and I'm like, Hey, you need to meet this other guy and you guys need to talk it out and come to some sort of accommodation. So I bought that guy a book as well. So two, two redemptions uh, so far on the, on the big offer. Uh, and I will make That's the funny. same offer uh, to, to the audience. If you don't love it, let me know. I'll buy you any book you want. That's awesome. Too many, not enough. You can't be everything to everyone or you're no, nothing to no one. So <laughs> there you go. True. Awesome. Jay, well, yeah, thanks again for Jesus, being a part. Even Jesus had one-star reviews. It's, uh, that's right. <laughs> At least one of the 12 was. Oh, oh yeah. no, that's too soon. Oh, hey. Um, we're here all week. Anyway. <laughs> awesome. Jay, thank you again for being a part of this, man. My pleasure, man. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it. Post it, tweet it, gram it, email a friend. Give the gift of knowledge to someone you know that could benefit from it. And if you really loved it, please consider leaving a rating and written review on your podcast player of choice. And as always, Go to wayfindinggrowth.com for resources and past episodes. Remember, we're here to help you navigate your business growth 
with strategic conversations and insights from experts in multiple industries. Thank you for listening to Wayfinding Growth.